Wolves this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson, and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside from The Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford. Yeah, yeah, good evening, Rob. Yeah, looking forward to it. I'm sure we've got another action-packed show on. We've plenty to talk about. We've plenty going on, hasn't it? Especially on the rugby league front. So, uh, yeah, we'll we be able to squeeze it all in an, in an hour. We'll have to wait and see. We'll give it a, we'll give it a good go, Paul. And what we'll do, we'll start off with the Rugby League and Sulphur Red Devils. They announced their new coaching setup for 2022 with Paul Rowley as head coach, Kurt Haggerty and Danny Orr as assistants. Uh, what do you make of that? I think it, it was um, it was on the cards, wasn't it? There was a lot of rumours going around and people, supporters, believed that Paul Rowley was going to come in. He'd been working at the club as like a an advisor, you know, he came in in 2019 helping Ian Watson out and been overseeing the youth development. So he's been around the place, hasn't he? So it seems like that that a natural choice to me, really. With Danny Orr was there last season, and Kurt Agassi was a bit of a surprise, wasn't it? You know, coming in from Lee, you know, he he he, he did it tough last year at Lee, coaching um, you know towards the back end of the year for for Lee, but uh, you know, knowledgeable guy, young guy as well, and. Paul Rowley knows him from uh, that neck of the wood, so it does seem um, seem an interesting situation now. So uh, we'll see what Paul Rowley's got to, to offer. He's very experienced. Paul, he's he's been around, hasn't he, around the leagues, and you know, decent player, played for England and played plenty of Super League games in his career, and he's got a decent. You know, coaching pedigree as well at Lee Centurions and, and Toronto. He played, you know, expansive game at Lee there when he was their coach and played some exciting stuff. So uh, we'll see what he's got to bring to the table. I think when he came in at Salford in 2019, the, there was no no doubt he had a, an, an influence on the squad because we went on to got to a grand final and a terrific end to the season. So I think his his coaching pedigree speaks for itself, really. So I'm excited to see what what he offers. You know, listening to him at the, the press conference, he seems really fired up for the job and. Uh, you know, some inspirational stuff was said there. So, you know, it's exciting time, I think. Yeah, ex-Lee, ex-Toronto coach. Coached, you know, a couple of very good sides there, Paul. What do you think he brings uh, to the Salford team and uh, club? Well, like I said, he brings that experience. I mean, he left both those clubs under a bit of a cloud, didn't he? So there was that there. So I think he's got a bit of unfinished business as a, as a coach, Paul Rowley. He's still a relatively young man as well. He's only sort of early, early 40s. I hope I'm not giving him a disservice there, but... Yeah, I think he, I think he'll do a good job at Salford. I really do. I think he's um, he, he looks like a bit of a disciplinarian to me from what he's been saying. He wants to change the culture at the club and things like that. So uh, and, and you know get the club back on the map really. So uh, you know I think it's uh, exciting times. I, I don't think he's going to be one of those players, those sorry coaches that's going to uh, suffer fools lightly. I think you'll have to perform for Paul Rowley, and if you don't, you'll you'll be out of the of the side. So I think he's a bit of a perfectionist like that, and I think he's going to lay the law down, and that's that's what you want. I think you need a coach like that to get the best out of your players. And uh, no, it'll be interesting to see how it goes and, and, and how he puts things in place. You know, Richard Marshall there last season, looking at it, Paul Rowley looks like a, a different character to Richard and, you know, a different character to Ian Watson as well, who was his predecessor. So um, it's there for him now. It's, it's, a, it's a terrific challenge for him. Like we've said before, there's only 12 sort of jobs in, in top flight rugby league in this country, in the Super League. And, you know, the, the massive opportunities, aren't there? And, you know, look at the signings that Salford are making as well. There's a bit of potential there now and a bit of excitement. I think there's a lot of expectation amongst the supporters as well. So it's it's exciting times to be a Salford uh, rugby league supporter. Yeah, Kirk Haggerty uh, was head coach at Lee last season. Now an assistant coach at Salford. 
Do you think that sort of helps the situation, obviously, because we did have Paul Rowley come in as kind of a coaching consultant when Ian Watson was in charge. And this is kind of similar uh, to me, even though Kirk Haggerty will be his, ex- his assistant, uh, but having two coaches on the, the payroll can only benefit for me. Well, yeah, I think that you can all bounce ideas off each other. I think when Paul Rowley came in to, to help Ian Watson, I think, you know, his ideas there helped and, and his influence helped as well. And, you know, he, he always seems like, strikes me as quite a laid-back character, Paul Rowley. And, you know, he's a very knowledgeable guy. He, he knows the, the sport inside out, doesn't he? And, uh, you know, Kurt Haggerty, as you just mentioned there, relatively young guy. I don't think he's been stopped playing for for long. But, uh, you know, Kurt's he's, he's earned his apprenticeship in, in amateur rugby league. I think he's done coaching there and, and still involved in the amateur sport. You know, seeing around Lee as well, and I thought he, he he tried really hard at Lee last year in what was a very very difficult job, and he always kept his chin up and his philosophies, you know, seemed pretty good as well. Danny Orr, another guy who's vastly experienced, you know, playing in Super League level for a number of years, and uh, you know he's he's been around the, the circuit now as an assistant coach and is, is going to bring ideas to the table. I didn't know whether he'd leave with Richard Marshall, with him being one of Richard's uh, men that he brought in, but no, he he, he must have struck a bond there with Paul Rowley for him to, to be staying at the club and interesting to see how that goes but the, the more sort of people you've got on your staff the, the better for me really you need those eyes there you need those helping hands it's a tough job being a, being a coach it's a lonely job as well so uh, if Paul Rowley has that, that bond with those two guys and they can get the best out of this squad then uh, who knows what we can do next season Yeah they talk about club culture Paul and Paul Rowley trying to fix it create a new one um, how, how far do you think we are from that kind of top four, top six club. I don't think we're that far away. Looking at the squad and uh, and the obviously experience of Paul Rowley and the experience of Kurt Haggerty and Danny Orr, because Danny Orr was here last season as well, so he'll know what the players can and can't do. So I've got a feeling this this team and this coaching setup is is ready made uh, for a top six push. Yeah, I think I think last season was was quite a, a fair way off the mark. To be honest, I think we showed signs, didn't we? And we seemed to book up towards the end of the season. But for me, the squad wasn't quite there last season. We we seemed to suffer a lot of injuries, a lot of suspensions, and you know we didn't really get the best out of out of the side really. And I thought we was quite a way off, you know, challenging last year. We was far too inconsistent, especially away from home in quite a lot of the matches. And, you know, if you go back to the 2020 season, after getting to the grand final, we started that season off pretty poor, didn't we? And, you know, going back to 2019, we, we proved then that, you know, we, we can challenge. And that, that obviously, that side was a special side. And that side's been split up now. I don't think there's anybody left from that team, or very few anyway. Uh, there was one or two, isn't there, left from that side now. And it's you look at the recruitment that we've made, and, and the spine of the side that we've kept from last season, you've got to be excited because we did have some good players last season. We were just a bit low on numbers, perhaps in the pack and things like that. So we've we've seen to identify the spots where we were low on numbers and recruited, you know, quite wisely, I think, and, and quite economically. And um, you know, if that if that pulls off and we can keep the the mainstay players, the, the key players fit next season, I think we can surprise a few teams. I think there's some teams in there. Not going to name names, but I, I think, in my opinion, there's some teams in the Super League that are probably not recruited as well as us, been a bit stagnant, and I think we can sort of catch those teams up and claw our way above them, those teams. So, so yeah, I think a top six, top five, top six challenge is it's there for us. We've got to be good at home, though. I think we've got to set the pace at home and, uh, you know, turn the AJ Bell into a bit of a fortress and win our home matches. 
And I think if you can do that, you can definitely challenge. It's all about being consistent, isn't it? And uh, winning those home games and, uh, you know, getting off getting off on the front foot and getting off to a good start. Yeah, we're talking about new signings. Salford announced one this week. Uh, Mark Sneed has returned to the club. Uh, he was originally at Salford. He came through our sort of academy from 2010 to 2014, uh, but left when Brian Noble was in charge and went on to Hull FC, where he became a bit of a club legend. But it's great to get him back. Yeah, he certainly is. I mean, he's, he's done a terrific job since he left Salford. He went to Castleford and became... You know, an excellent player for them, and I think he'll be remembered fondly for his time at Hull, won't he? And you know, winning the winning the oops, winning the Man of Steel at Hull, and um, winning the, the the challenge, not the Man of Steel, sorry, the, the Lansdowne Trophy at Hull, and win the Challenge Cups and, and what have you there, and the, and the work that he did there. I think he's been tremendous for them, and I think they'll they'll definitely miss him their supporters. So, uh, yeah, it's a good signing for us. You know, you know, looking back at the time when he was at Salford, it was a shame to see him go. Really, I can never understand why Brian Noble got rid of him because he was definitely an up-and-coming talent. So, uh, so yeah, great to see him back at Salford. And it was a surprise. It, it comes totally out of left field for me. I never saw that one coming. We never heard any rumours about it. Did we? It was just announced. It's like, wow, what 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 a signing for us. So, uh, so yeah, he's a player that can can. You know, kicks fantastic. There's a fantastic goal kicker, and you know his place kicking is tremendous. He's forty twenties and things like that. He can create tries and you know off kicks. And you know the big test is is will he be able to lead the team around the pitch and, and work with Brody Croft or Chris Atkin or Ryan Briley wherever he's put there in the halfback position with. But he's an excellent player, and I think if he can find his form for us next season, he can do a terrific job for us. Yeah, he's X factor. Uh, definitely, Paul. He's, he's a great goalkeeper, kicker, very creative as well, and the kind of player that could take Salford to that next level. He is. Like I said before, he's a talisman. He's a good goal kicker. He can drop a goal as well. He's, he can win a match for you, you know, his goal kicking alone. But you think of the amount of tries that he creates, in particular with his, with his kicking, you know, his out wide kicking, his short kicking range, he'll create chances for you. I mean, how many chances and tries did he create for Hull FC over the last few years, as I said, with all those ter- terrific performances in the Challenge Cup? And he's only 30 as well, so he's sort of the peak of his career now, isn't he? And, you know, or reaching the back end of his career. But I think you still still think he's got time in him left. And, and if he was Mark Sneed coming back to where it all began, surely there's a bit of unfinished business there for him. And he'd like to sort of replay Salford and, you know, the club that he started at. I mean, if that was me, I'd want to go out there and, and bring some silverware to the, the club where it all began. So exciting times for Mark Sneed. I mean, He's an Oldham lad. I think he's up from from Shaw, Shaw end of Oldham. So he's going to be back near his family and his friends and things like that. So that could have a, a positive effect on him as well. You know, I'm not saying Hull's a million miles away, but you're a lot nearer to home now. And I believe he's got a young family. So this could be the perfect move for him. Yeah, and obviously that Salford spine for the 2022 season with Braley at fullback. Mark Steed at six, Brodie Croft at seven, and then Akers and Arakin at nine. You've got some good players in in important positions there. Yeah, you certainly have. You've got Morgan Esquire as well, who'll probably be uh, having a go at you there. Rob's saying he wants to be at number one. So, yeah, and there's all sorts of options. You know, if you look at the wings as well, Joe Burge is there, Ken Joe can play at full-back as well or on the wing. So you, you've got, you know, competition for places. There's Dan Sargent, Callum Watkins in the centre. If we can get Callum Watkins, you know, fit as well. Matty Costello's there. So, 
you know, Ryan Bryle is, I think he's a player that can sort of play in quite a number of positions, really. And, you know, if you look at him, perhaps we're going to use him like, if it was me, I'd be using him like a Richie Myler sort of player, you know, backing up support. Look at how many tries he scores for Leeds. I mean, Ryan Bryle, I think, scored about 11 or 12 tries in a struggling Lee side last year in Super League. So if we can get him getting up and, you know, running, running into the angles and into the pockets, he can score points for as well. And he's another one who can kick goals. So, Mark needs a terrific goal kicker. You know, Chris Atkins. You've got a lot of options there now, Rob. And inevitably, there's going to be injuries. There always is, isn't there? So we look like we've got competition for places and people that can plug the holes when, obviously, you know, the inevitable injuries strike. Yeah, and also got some good forwards as well uh, coming in, which is important because we lost a bit of size in the off season, uh, but we've been busy in that department. Yeah, we certainly had it. It was sad to see Sebastian Vahiko go back to Huddersfield. He's been on loan, hasn't he, for the last couple of seasons. And, you know, um, he'd be a big miss for us, won't we? Lee Moss have obviously retiring towards the back end of the year. So there's people who've left the, the team there. And Oliver Roberts has gone back to Huddersfield as well, I believe. So, you know, the, the big man, big king from, I don't know, I can't pronounce his second name, big king from, from Leeds, I think, is a, you know, a guy with a point to prove. You've got Akawala, who's coming from Warrington as well, who... He's another guy that, you know, probably has got a point to prove, really. He's got a lot of raw talent there. It's it's up to him to sort of realise his potential now. Wright, the lad from Australia, looks a, looks a good forward as well. Shane Wright, I think he's called. So, I don't know a lot about him, but he's got the size and the physique. And I think he's 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 got that grounded in the NRL. So, it'll be, be good to see how he goes as well. So, there's, there's some exciting lads there. Amir Burrow's come from Wigan as well. Another another youngster who'll be looking to... to, to, to outshine his potential now you know he's been in that Wigan side and obviously left there now and come to Salford and he'll want to do well so there's some exciting players there for us Yeah there was a big stadium meeting uh, at the AJ Bell about the possible uh, transfer of Salford Devils from the AJ Bell to uh, Moore Lane Salford City's ground we'll talk about that next week Paul but as a fan um, it would be a step forward for Salford as long as Salford kind of um, you know our benefit from the deal yeah, it, it's a tough one, Rob. I mean, do do we dig our heels in and fight tooth and nail to stay at the AJ Bell Stadium? It, it all depends, doesn't it, on the agreements and the money situation and can we afford to stay there? But I, if it was me, I, I wouldn't want to just give it up willy nilly. I think we've got to we've got to do what's best for the club and get the best deal for the club, whether that be at the AJ Bell Stadium or Moor Lane or wherever. So, you know, the the longevity of Salford Rugby League Club is the most important thing and. You know, it's it's easy to say. You know, this this deal's better. Or we need to stay. We need to stay there. We we need to do what's best for us, and we need to make sure that the people running the club get the, the best deal and are advised in the in the in the best way. So we'll have to watch this space and see what happens there. It's you know, it's interesting times, exciting times, and I think at the moment, you know, if you was you Paul King or people at the hierarchy of the club, you'd be your message would be to, to get behind the club for 2021. Let's let's sell as many season tickets as we can, have a successful season. And wherever we may be in, 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 in sorry, 2022, I should have said there. Um, yeah, it will be 2022, won't it? What year are we on now? Yes, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yes, it sorry, will 20, be. <laughs> You lose it. You use the track of time. Right? It's COVID and all that. I've lost. I've lost where I'm at. But yes, for the 2022 season. So you know, wherever we may be in 2023, we want to be going there on the back. Of a, of, a, of, a, of a great season you know the previous season building momentum so uh, there's, there's an awful lot of potential there to be realised this season I think you know coming up and we've just spoke about the signings there there's, there's a bit of excitement there now and, and who knows we we could get to a final again you'll get to Wembley again how, how good would that be say we, we were to move stadiums but you'd rather move stadiums or 
you know, movie, movie stadium on the on the back of a of a winning season, wouldn't you? Winning a trophy or and a glorious cup run or something like that. something that can capture the imagination of supporters and, and potential new supporters. Yeah, there's a sports on exclusive for you, Paul Whiteside, sports journalist for Soft Radio and time traveller. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, talk about our other club, Swinton Lions. Now they've been busy in the uh, transfer market. Um, and retaining players as well. Uh, Nick Gregson, uh, he's their player of the year in 2021, has re-signed for Swinton. So that's a good thing for the Lions. Yeah, it certainly is. I, I've noticed they've, they've been busy. They've, they've brought a few players back to the club who, who've played there before and the squad's starting to take shape now. So, yeah, I believe Gregson was a, was a good player for them last season. Great to keep him tied down because... Obviously, undoubtedly, the other side, perhaps in the in the championship, who are sniffing round as well, because they always are, aren't they? A good players, uh, you know, knocking about. So, so yes, yeah, like I said, the, the squad's starting to take shape, and they've got a they've got a tough season coming up in in League One. But there's un, no doubt they're going to be one of the favourites in in that, in that um, league this year. And Alan Coleman will, will have his plan ready for you know for a, for a promotion charge. And I think Swinton, you know, undoubtedly, as I said, are going to be one of the favourites. And you know, there's an exciting season in prospect for their support. I think they'll be challenging and uh, you know this time next year they could be back in that championship yeah Ben Hayes uh, has re-signed a young winger and fullback is happy that the opportunity has come up for him to stay at Swinton Lions and he will be looking to make an impression in uh, 2022 yeah that's right I mean if you look through the Swinton squad there's some there's some experienced players in there you know some players who've, who've been around and who've been at the club for a while but there's also some good young players in the side as well so they've got a nice blend there now and the blokes that they're bringing in and and adding to the squad I think you know it's looking a, a good side that on, on paper now so they've got to realise that potential now and, and get off to a good start you know before we know it the fixtures will be out and they'll know this this, this pairing off in the early stages so it's vitally important that Swinton get off to a good start get the season off up and running and, you know as I said about the AJ Bell making that a fortress but making Haywood Road a fortress and make it a tough place for teams to go and you know, no, no side in that League One is going to fancy going to Swinton and turning them over I think we reckon with in, in, in 2022 I think they're going to be the team to beat in, in that league there's some tough sides in, in that league but you know Swinton I don't think there was a terrible championship side. I think they had some some tough some tough times last season. Didn't they? It was a tough league to play in, but I think now I think that's dropping down. They're going to be one of the big guns now this time, and it's up to them to you know to uh, to, to pick those teams off and get the results. They've also signed uh, Luke, well, re-signed Luke Waterworth. He's a popular hooker at the club uh, and having him back involved uh, will, will certainly give the Lions a boost, uh, which is exciting for everyone. Yeah, good player, good player, Luke Waterworth. Good, very good uh, ball distributor at dummy half, and you know, pretty quick and nippy around the rook as well. I've seen him a few times in his spell at Swinton, and um, yeah, good to see him back at the club. And as I said, the squad's starting to take shape. It really is every day. I've been, you know, keeping tabs and, and seeing that players have re-signed and the you know the odd players come in. So signed a couple of players from Oldham as well, I believe, haven't they? They've, they've poached a few there, so. So, yeah, I think they're going to have a really good season, Rob. I really do. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing when their fixtures come out. And I'm sure the supporters are now. I mean, every time you've had a disappointing season when you get relegated, you just, I mean, you know, speaking as a solvent supporter, every time we've gone down and the, the times I've seen us relegated, you just can't wait, can you, for the fixtures to come out and, you know, plot your uh, plot your journey back to the, the league you've dropped out of, you know, plot that promotion and, uh, you know, turn things round, and I'm sure that's what their supporters are after now. You know, putting the rights, the wrongs of, of, of this season right next season on the pitch. 
Yeah, it's going to be exciting, obviously. Uh, Alan Coleman and Paul Rowley, both head coaches of our local sides. And they're going to be looking forward to uh, what to, what comes in this new season. Obviously, both under different kinds of pressure, Paul, but uh, we'll be covering it on the Sports Zone and it's going to be a, a thrilling minute season. It certainly is, Rob. I can't wait for it now. I mean, I think the sides are coming back now into to pre-season training, aren't they? And, you know, before you know what I said, the, the fixtures will be out and the, and the season will be here. Once you've got Christmas out of the way and a couple of friendlies, the season's here. Then it's also a World Cup year, hopefully, uh, at the end of the next season as well. I know the grand final's been, been brought forward, hasn't it? To, I think it's the third week in September. So that it'll be a bit of a shorter season really for us and then get that preparation for uh, hopefully the World Cup if if things you know uh, stay stay improved like they, hopefully they're going to be so it's going to be an exciting 2022 three so we're joined by James Sweeten and James looking forward to talking all things sports in Salford and beyond yeah most definitely Rob but in particular right now it's time for ice hockey and Rob can you tell us all about Manchester Storm's upcoming fixtures for this week yeah, three tough fixtures for the Manchester Storm this week. Got Coventry Blaze at home uh, on the Friday, and then they travel to Belfast, uh, which is a, a big way, big way to go uh, in the in the big screen, big scene of ice hockey. They play Saturday and Sunday in Belfast, uh, which is going to be um, a tough flight and a tough preparation really for Ryan Finney's men. Uh, Belfast are a good side as well, so they will be have to be at the the, uh, the top of the game, James, uh, to get a result there. What are your predictions for these fixtures, Rob? Well, I'm hoping that Coventry Blaze at home, they'll they'll get a result there. Uh, and then away from home, obviously back-to-back in Belfast. If you can get one out of them, two victorious, then I think Ryan Finney and his men will be happy with the weekend. A storm star has left the club. Who is it, Rob? Yeah, Liam Morgan left the club. Uh, Storm fans, bit disappointed. He's a forward. Uh, he's played 14 times for the Storm. He's scored four goals and got two assists. I've always said that Storm need goal scorers. And for him to leave the club is a disappointment. He had goals in him, but I'm sure Ryan Finity uh, will be looking at it and thinking, well, I've got enough talent in this squad uh, to make up for his uh, disappearance. And hopefully he's right. How big an impact is this going to have on the side, Rob? It might have a big impact, James, because obviously, you know, Storm are in and out. They're having good, they're having good performances and then they're dropping off a bit. And uh, having him in, you know, in the squad might give the Storm players a bit of a boost. But obviously, he's not available now, James. So they've got to look forward at the games to come. Uh, and hopefully, they'll be picking up wins uh, and moving up the table. Most definitely, Rob. And now moving on to the world of boxing. And Paul, there was a massive fight. A couple of weeks back, we couldn't talk about it due to recording issues, but now it's time to break it down. Canelo Alvarez versus Caleb Plant for the undisputed Supermate World Championships. And I saw people scoring this vastly differently. Some had Canelo way up due to his movement on the front foot. Some people thought that Caleb Plant was doing better counterpunching the Mexican. What way did you see it? Yeah, I thought, I thought Plant... Did well on the back foot, to be honest, with his, with his counter-punching. But don't think you can take anything away from Canelo. I, I think I had Canelo a few rounds up in the fight. I just think his overall work rate and just the way he boxes, the way he moves, as you said, I think he's he's by far one of the best boxers on the planet at the moment. I know there's been some talk of a couple of British lads over the last couple of weeks, um, you know, taking, you know, wanting that fight. You know, the mandatory as well. you got, like, Zach Parker had a, had a fantastic result over... Um, over Marcus Morrison, I thought it's all about levels at the moment. I think Canelo is 
He's getting shoulders above a lot of uh, a lot of these fighters, so um, he thoroughly deserved the victory, I thought. And there was a lot of needle, I thought, going into that fight, and you know, there was a lot on plan, a lot of expectation on him. But I think you know, Kel just swept him aside, really, for me, and and, and just just showed his his longevity and and just the, the man he is at the moment. He's 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 a fantastic fighter and one that's you know up there now with with, with the best we've seen in a long, long time and. Who's going to stop him? Is there somebody who can stop him? I'm not too sure. I mean, when we talk about people who can potentially stop him, I mean, you almost need to go outside of his weight class to potentially get that done because going back down to middleweight, Gennady Golovkin, some people felt that he maybe won both of those fights against Canelo, but he's ageing now. So maybe Canelo needs to go all the way up to light heavyweight to find the challenge. Yeah, maybe. I mean... I was just mentioning the Parker there before who, who fought Morrison and you know I look at him and think yeah he's one of the best British super middleweights at the moment he fought Morrison who's is a middleweight for me and, and, and he looked too big for him you look at Canelo though he fought probably the best British super middleweight in a long time and Callum Smith and, and was unanimous really wasn't he so and I think Smith is probably the best in Britain and still is the best in Britain in that super middleweight so you probably are looking at a step up because I think he's he's beat everybody in that division, and I don't think there's anybody really who get, who get anywhere near him. I really don't. I mean, Billy Joe Saunders. No, I, I think he, he swept them all aside and and done it magnificently, really as well, with a lot of style. And I think you've just got to hold your hands up sometimes and say he's a very very special fighter. And does he have to move up a weight now to get these challenges, to get these big fights? Or is there somebody? Is there somebody going to come through at super middleweight and challenge him? I'm not too sure. I think I think he's he swept it aside there and and done everybody really. And I think it probably it probably is a time. Is it is it the right thing for him to step up? I'm not too sure. But he's he's one of those fighters that could. I think he's he's that skillful and and that tough. He could make that move up and and probably challenge it the, the next weight as well. Paul, I'm going to pitch something a little bit mad, really, because Canelo Alvarez is only five foot eight, but the cruiserweight division isn't the strongest. I know we've got Lawrence Acoli and Marish Brady's great champions, but Alungu Makabu's got a WBC belt. Is there any world in which Canelo Alvarez could become a five weight world champion and step up to cruiserweight? Yeah, probably. I don't see why not. I mean, I know you say he's not the tallest of blokes there, but. He's very, he's a fantastic fighter. He really is, and you look at him, and he doesn't seem to carry any weight at all, does he? The aggression that he's got, and the, the way he moves, he's just so, he's just teak tough, and and I'm pretty sure he could, he could throw that muscle on, and throw that weight on, and be able to make that weight comfortably, and and look good in that weight, and not look sort of overblown. I think, I think he could. I think he's an absolute animal, and you know. We, 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 a five-weight world champion would be something special, but I wouldn't put it beyond him. He's proved time and time again now, you know, he's had his, he's had the odd setback, hasn't he? But he's proved time and time again now. Well, he's been written off a few times as well and people say, oh, this this time this guy's got his number and he's, he's come up shining and, and just dispatched people comfortably as well. And I mean comfortably. So, I think it'd be great that to see him, you know, win a, you know, you know challenge, you know, for a five-weight world title. I think it'd be absolutely tremendous and there's some big... The, the only thing is you're struggling like you said at that division it's not the strongest the cruiserweight division it's not but um, it would be I think if he if he got in that division I think he'd definitely be up there for, for winning a world title I wouldn't put it past him one bit I'd, I'd say sort of 75% he'd, he'd win a world title at that weight 
I mean, Canelo Alvarez is so much of a conundrum for so many different fighters because he's got plenty of miles left to go on the clock. But he's been doing this since he was 15 years old and he's more experienced than 90% of the other operators that are going to get into the ring with him. So every fighter that challenges him just seems to be so far inferior to him in terms of experience. I mean, what do you do when you're game planning for Canelo? How do you go about beating him? Because he's so good in every single factor and he knows how to do the 12 rounds better than anybody. And that was so evident against Caleb Plank getting the stoppage in the 11th round. I think if you were, say, a British fighter coming up and and getting the shot, like the mandatory shot, I don't think you've got to worry about Canelo's game. I think you've just got to worry about yourself. Um, you can only do physically what you can do I mean somebody like him how do you how do you fashion a game plan for somebody like Canelo Alvarez I mean you can't I don't think you can I think he does everything so well as I said he's so tough he's so experienced he's seen everything he's been there and he's he's bought the t-shirt nothing phases him nothing worries him you know you see him at the, the face-offs and the weigh-ins and things like that. he's cool as anything it's a job for him that's his job he goes in there and he knocks people out he beats people that's what he does day to day um, and he's been doing it for so long now and he's so experienced that I, I don't think you can sort of plan for him he's one of those fighters where you've just got to go in there and, and do your best and if you can land a shot and, and beat him then then good luck to you but I don't think he's a fighter you can plan for and say yeah we've got a game plan we're going to do this that's the downfall of Canelo because I don't think he's really got any any flaws in his, in his locker really Now from one of the biggest names into the sport to one of the most polarising figures in the sport Jake Paul and Tommy Fury had the first press conference last week. And the big news coming out of that press conference for me, Paul, is that Tommy Fury will be training alongside Sugar Hill Stewart, which for me signals one thing. It's a statement of intent. And it signals that Tommy Fury is going to be walking forward from the opening bell looking for a knockout. Is that the right idea going into this fight? Yeah, I don't see why not. I think, like you said, it's a statement of intent for him as well. I think he's taking this fight very, very seriously. And, you know, he knows that, that, that it's going to be tough for him. And I think he's going to leave no stone unturned. And that's the way to go about it. But, yeah, I think sometimes you, you've got to box to your strengths, haven't you? I mean, talking to a friend of mine recently, we was talking about Anthony Joshua and the way things have gone with him. And, you know, for me, he's a demolition man. And he should just stick to what he's good at. And I think sometimes when you try and change your boxer and try and change what they're good at, you take away a lot of their strengths then. So, yeah, Tommy Fury... Perhaps that's the way his best way of fighting. Get on that front foot and demolish him. Go for him. If you've got the power there, go and take him out. You know, don't let don't let him dance around you and and, and and take away your strength and take away your skills. So that could be the way forward for him. But I think he's definitely taking this fight serious and he sees it as a stepping stone for better things in his career. One of the things I worry about in this fight for Tommy is the fact that he's having to step up 17 pounds from his usual weight class of 175 all the way up to 192. And in addition, he wasn't able to attend this week's press conference due to an unexpected family emergency at home. Jake's already been training for seven weeks out in America. Tommy, he's been in between camps from England and America. He's had to go back for this family emergency. And could a bad camp here cost him? Could do. It could do. I mean, sometimes it's it's unfortunate, isn't it? You know, you've got a family emergency, things like that. Sometimes these things are unavoidable, but they all add to the, the stress, don't they, of, of trying to prepare for something. You know, you're trying to prepare for a fight. You don't want the outside stresses and things like that. You want things to run smoothly. You know, it's probably worrying enough preparing for a fight. You know, you've got that on your mind 
morning, noon, and night, you wake up, you, you're thinking about your opponent and thinking about fight night and the other stuff you need to sort of shelve really and, and, and get out of the way because it's just you're just using energy that you want to, for that, that, that fight night. So, yeah, I think any fighter wants an undisturbed camp really they want that camp to go smoothly don't they so it could be a real hindrance to him that and and, and that's something that he needs to be wary of he needs to settle down now and it's hard though you know boxers and, and sports people have got lives as well haven't they sometimes people don't sort of forget that don't they? they've got lives outside they're in they've got families they've got children they've got problems they've got bills to pay there's, there's all sorts of things like that they're just like you and me really aren't they so it's uh let's hope he gets a good camp now and uh and, and gets to focus on things and, 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 and he's at the top of his game for when he comes out you know, and that bell goes. One positive, though, is that Tyson Fury will be in his corner on fight night and his experience, I imagine, will be absolutely pivotal in this. Not only dealing with the biggest fight of his life in terms of a competition standpoint, but also dealing with the nerves because if anybody's good at dealing with them, it's Tyson Fury, whether it be in Germany against Klitschko, in America against Wilder. And how will his experience with dealing with those big occasions help Tommy on the night? Oh, I think massively, massively. You know, you know Tyson Fury's been in there and he's he's dealt with things, hasn't he? He's, he's a character. Tyson Fury's a tremendous character. I mean, how good would it be to have somebody like him in your corner, you know, that calm and influence that? that character he's got, that charisma and, you know, the, the way he can sort of walk into a place and he sort of commands it, doesn't he? So, um, you know, he's, he's a mountain of a man and, you know, the, the character he's got, you know, to have that in your corner, I think it'd be, you know, if you're the opponent and, and Tyson Fury's in the opposite corner, you, you're you thinking twice, aren't you there? He's got the knowledge as well. He'll know what to say. You know, in between rounds, he's going to be able to pick things off. He's, he's just a student of the sport as well, Tyson Fury. He's, he's no dummy, is he? You know, he knows how things work. Very technical man himself. He'll pick things up in, in a fight and I think he'll, be, he'll only help and be tremendous to have in that corner on fight night. Now, earlier on, you alluded to Anthony Joshua potentially negating what he's best at. That animal instinct that he's got, that great combination puncher that he is, and the fantastic finishing ability that he has as well. He's out at the moment in America looking for a new trainer. In an interview with RFL TV, he was very, very vague on whether he's going to be moving to a new trainer full-time or that person will be brought into the corner in addition to Rob McCracken, who's already there. But for me, Paul, I think he needs a completely new look going into a rematch with Usyk. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, sometimes you see Anthony Joshua and he's sort of, I don't know, I think, has he taken his mind away from boxing sometimes? He's on that many adverts on the television and things like that. Now, perhaps you just need to get back down to basics and just remember who you are. And, you know, he's a terrific fighter. But I think, you know, his last couple of fights, particularly the music fights, for me, <clears throat> he changed his style. He looks, he looks too light for me at times. I mean, you're not a male model, you're not a bodybuilder, you're a boxer. Let, let's get back to how, how, how you used to win fights. You know, he weren't doing anything wrong there. He, he was doing he was doing well, he was knocking people out, he looked like one of the, the best heavyweights on the planet. He looked unbeatable at times earlier on in his career and, you know, things have gone wrong, he, he lost fights and, you know, I think he just needs to get back to basics and get back to what, you know, get enjoying his boxing again, enjoy what you do best. And that is a knockout puncher, as we've said there, his combinations and the way he can get in there and, and, and take somebody apart, get in on that front foot, get behind that jab and let them combinations go. Don't, like, like the music fight, don't try and box someone like Usyk. Let's get in there and bang him out because that's what you're good at. You know, you've got boxing is, is a sport where you need to box to your strengths. Don't try and do something what somebody else does. You've got to do what you do well. 
and we know Anthony Joshua can do it. And I think, like I said, Rob McCracken's a tremendous trainer. You look at the job he did with Kyle Froch. He took Kyle Froch for one of the, and made him one of the best boxers on the planet. So, you know, Rob McCracken, he, he's got all the experience in the world, you know, working with, with Team GB as well. So I don't doubt that. I think Anthony Joshua just needs to get back down to basics and get back doing, well, doing what he does and get boxing with a smile on his face again. Conor Ben will tangle with former world champion Chris Algieri on December the 11th. And he's slightly past his best, Algieri, but he still poses the biggest test of Conor Ben's career by a mile. He's only fought once since that night at Madison Square Garden where Jamie Moore had to pull out Tommy Coyle. But it's a massive test for Ben, isn't it? It certainly is, yeah. This this is a big test for him. I mean, we've spoke about Conor Ben, haven't we, recently? And he's been very, very impressive. He's looked like a like a hungry sort of young puppy, hasn't he? In, in some of the fights, he really has been, been tearing into people. And his enthusiasm and his drive and his will to win, his will to succeed, I think he's infectious when you see him on the television. I think you can only be excited by him. He's so exciting to watch, so quick. And and he just he just wants it, doesn't he? And uh, as you said there, Algeria, very, very tough customer. You know, we've seen him in some absolute wars and he, he he's a fighter that won't give an inch as well. He he's he's granite tough as well. And but Conor Ben has got the tools, I think, to deal with him. I think his speed and his power, you know, there's not many boxers at that weight hit as hard as Conor Ben. So uh, this should be a big I think it's the biggest test of his career so far, no doubt about that. But it's a, it's an intriguing encounter, you know. Algeria's a, a very tough fighter, as I've said, very experienced, and you know has been around as well and, and, and fought some of the best. So this this one is, is definitely one to watch. Devin Haney will collide with Jojo Diaz on December the third, and many have criticised the American for lacking a star name on his resume. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, and Dazomi got into a huge argument with Tiafimo Lopez, who for most is the undisputed world champion, and he was claiming that he's the biggest star than Tiafimo because he's got more followers on social media. I think that irked a lot of the boxing public due to the fact that Tiafimo beat the man in Lomachenko. It doesn't matter how many followers you've got on social media. So Devin Haney came into a lot of criticism for that. But Jojo Diaz would be the best victory on his resume and it'd be a step in the right direction to fighting somebody like a Tiafimo Lopez. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Like you said, I don't think it makes a difference how many followers you've got on Twitter. I mean, nobody remembers that at the end of your career. Do they? they remember your uh, your record and, and, your, and your legacy, if you like. So, so yeah, this could be a step in the right direction for him and then get those those bigger fights. But, yeah, I mean, if that was me in professional boxing, I, I don't think I'd be bothered about if I had two followers or two million. I think it's about getting in the ring and, and winning the fights for me. There's been some sad news on social media this week. Pictures have emerged of Scott, Field, Scott Fitzgerald led outside a pub in Preston unconscious. And I feel like we can go into this a little bit, Paul, because Scott posted a status on his social media pages explaining what had gone on. Essentially, it, it, there's been an argument between a traveller and his girlfriend. So he's travelled to a park in Preston for a straightener. According to Scott's social media, this straightener lasted for 20 or so minutes. And on the way back home, he's collapsed. So we don't know what, whether that's concussion or, or, or head trauma or, or what have you. But very dangerous for Scott. And for somebody who's had so many demons and, and drug problems, I mean, he had a stint in rehab last year. It, it, it's very worrying times for him. And I think we're all hoping that he can get the help that he needs. Well, let's hope so, because he's a terrific fighter with an awful lot of potential. As you said there, he came back from his demons before and has had some great wins, hasn't he? And looked like he was going to be a real, real challenger. And this, for me, was a shock when I saw this. It was very unexpected. And, 
yeah, you, you just hope he's going to be all right and he's um, he's going to get himself back together because he's a real talent. You know, he's a local talent as well, isn't he? In the northwest, and you know, we like our northwest boxers to to do well, don't we? And uh, you know, he, he's part of that 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 brigade. So let's hope he's okay. And, and when you do see things like that on social media, it's a worry, isn't it? So we, we, like you've just mentioned there. This, this straightening that's gone on, you don't know what he's, what's gone on there, what, what's been thrown. I mean, we're not, when we're talking about these these straightener fights, you know, with travellers and things like that, you're not boxing to Queensbury rules, are you? I mean, all sorts can go on. So, uh, so yeah, let's hope he's all right and um, he, he gets himself back together because it'd be a tremendous shame, not only for himself, but for his, for his career as well. How long has Scott Fitzgerald got if he continues to spiral down this rabbit hole before his career has just vanished before his eyes? Not long, not long, James. I mean, it doesn't take long, does it, to for it, for, your, for your career to flash before you? Know I mean, all the time there's there's up and coming young fighters just ready to take your place, isn't there? And if you go off the rails and those opportunities will go, you'll you'll fall out with your with your trainers and your promoters and things like that. And you know, you get out of the routine of it all. As we said before, boxers, it's it's a life. It's not just a sport. It's a lifestyle, isn't it? So you you stop training and you know get out of that get out of that habit and that. You're not there. You've got to be on your A game every every single day of the week, haven't you? So, yeah, let's just hope he sorts it out. Because, like I said before, he's a very talented kid. He's got a bit of a very tough, tough kid as well. Like we said, he's had his demons and that, but he's come back and and proved that he's uh, that he can do it. He can do the business. So, uh, it'd be a shame to see him lost to the sport. Now, a couple of questions in the heavyweight division, Paul. And after pulling out of the Otto Wallen fight, supposedly the WBC have received clearance that. White's injury was legitimate. Some people, you know, have argued both ways. I'm not sure what you think of this, whether it was a legitimate injury or not. But either way, the WBC will now order Tyson Fury to fight Dillian White for the WBC Heavyweight Championship of the World. And is this the right decision from the sanctioning body? Yeah, I think so. I think I think Dylan White deserves his shot. You was talking about his injury there. I think the only person who'll know about that is him and his team, isn't it? So... Um, I think it'd be a, a terrific fight. That we, we've seen every time we've seen Dylan White in the action on the television in these big fights, he, he I don't think you can ever say he's been in a boring fight. I think he's an entertainer, isn't he? And he's an edge of his seat fighter as well. So, uh, so yeah, it's something that I'd be very, very interested in that fight. I think it's a fight that that needs to happen now. I mean, we've we've seen Fury in, in, in fights with Wilder and been tremendous fights as well. But as that ship sailed now, do, do we need to see something different? Yeah, potentially, Paul. I mean, the Anthony Joshua fight has been speculated over for years, but it is losing its thunder with Joshua losing for Usyk. And does it die completely if he loses the rematch? Dillian White has been on such a good run, beating the likes of Joseph Parker, Oscar Rivas, Alexander Povetkin in that rematch, that he's also almost becoming the better option for hardcore boxing fans if you want a competitive fight. Yeah, I think so. If you go back, it's probably a, few, a good few years ago now when we saw Dylan White in a tremendous fight with Anthony Joshua, wasn't it? And he was he was beaten eventually in that fight and it was a bit of a, a real shootout. But I think since then, he's gone away and, and this is credit to him. He's gone away, rebuilt his career and probably had some some, some really good wins on it on his record. And I'm not saying eclipsed Anthony Joshua, but he, he's been up there and beat everybody that's been put in front of him. As he said, they're like Joseph Parker and, and Pavekin and people like these. These are these are world title challenges and 
and, and champion fighters, aren't they? So he deserves to be where he is and he deserves to be like a mandatory challenge, you know, I think. And he, he's never shirked anybody, has he? He's been in those fights. He's been in some tough ones as well. So, uh, as I said, Dylan White's a, a tremendous fighter to watch and I think uh, we're going to see some big fights coming up now, hopefully in 2022 in the early, early parts of it because uh, you know, these are the fights we want to see. I mean, talking big fights in the heavyweight division, Paul, momentum is gathering for a showdown between Deontay Wilder and Andy Ruiz. And that's one that absolutely salivates the boxing fans, isn't it? Yeah, certainly. I think that'd be a, be a tremendous fight. That that really would. That's. Uh, I mean, we've spoken, haven't we, about Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. And I don't know whether I want to see that fight again. No, I think there's only so many times you can go to, to a fight. I think the Ruiz fight and, and Wilder fight, those two styles, two very, very different styles, I'd say. Two two men that are completely different shapes, completely different sizes, and but both do do special things in the ring and have got that, that, that bit of magic, haven't that bit of class and that bit of that bit of quality and they they can you know, they can end the fight both of them with, with one punch, can't they? So I think that'd be a, an intriguing encounter that two two different styles that I think could gel very well. We have an absolute massive fight coming up this weekend, Paul. The WBO welterweight championship of the world is on the line is Terence Bud Crawford defense against Sean Porter and the American has been so good in recent years so slick so brilliant but he is lacking that marquee win can Sean Porter be that I mean he's come so close in big fights against the likes of Keith Furman Kelbrook Errol Spence fights that if a round or two had gone another way he could be calling himself the victor He's managed to pick up world titles on more than one occasion. He's a bulldog. He never gets up. If anybody is going to give Terence Crawford a run for his money, surely it's Sean Porter. And if he gets the win, and it's a big if, does that finally cement him as a pound-for-pound great? Yeah, definitely. I think it's going to be a real challenge for him against against Crawford. You know, Crawford's a very special fighter. and This is one of those, those fights, really, that can... Go either way, I think. I think you probably have Crawford as, as the favourite. But as you said there about Sean Porter, he's been in a lot, a lot of big fights, hasn't he? And probably just come up just short in those fights. And, and sometimes it's it's what the, the judges see, isn't it? You know, everyone scores a fight differently. And as you said, if you do a, a couple of those fights, a couple of those rounds would have gone a different way. You know, he could have had a totally different career. So, you know, you know Porter, for me, is very, very tough. He's never going to give in. And he's going to give... I think he'll give Crawford one hell of a night. You know, if Crawford's not on, you know, Porter can take that fight. He really can. You know, Crawford can't leave any stone unturned. He's got to be absolutely immaculate on the night to get the results. So this is another great fight to watch. It really is. You know, they're coming thick and fast at the moment. And the fights on, on, on all different sides of the world, aren't they? This is another great one to watch. Yeah, it's one we're really looking forward to. And I can't wait to break it down with you after it's finished. Whether Sean Porter causes the upset or Terence Crawford solidifies himself as one of the greats of this era. But moving on to the football, Rob, and Manchester United are away at Watford, and they've struggled in recent times, of course. They scraped past Atlanta, Ronaldo almost single-handedly keeping Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on a job. They then lost the derby. They didn't have much shape. They didn't seem to have much desire, and there's a lot of pressure going into this Watford game. There is a lot of pressure, James, on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. We talk about this every week. Uh, what is wrong with this Manchester United side? The pressure is building, and I don't see an obvious answer. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's job hangs in the balance, James. But does sacking Ole Gunnar Solskjaer fix the problems at Manchester United? Not for me. It'll be a quick fix, but it won't work out. 
I, I do worry. Watford are a good side. Um, you know, Ranieri's come in there now. He's doing a good job. So it will be difficult, I think, for United to get a result away at Watford. Very difficult, Rob. I mean, just looking back at that derby, because we've not had much of a chance to discuss it yet. What did you make of it, Rob? Because for me, it's bad that we lack shape and we lack structure and maybe our tactics just aren't quite there. But we seem to lack desire. And that's incredibly worrying going into a derby. It's man, It was men against boys, James. And unfortunately for Manchester United, they knew their limitations. Man City knew that Man United could not press. Because if United pressed, they'd just sort of play one-twos round. And that midfield of, of, um, of Fred and McTominay were just overwhelmed. The back four weren't able to play football. City were swarming all over them like, like bees on honey. And they just weren't able to, to get the ball out. And that's the problem with Manchester United. It's not a new thing. Team know, teams know when they face Man United, if you press high, that defence will crack. And it is a massive problem going forward because Oli loves that kind of counter-attacking game. Uh, you kind of not pressing, so you're not going forward. And it is a massive issue for Manchester United. But I can't see an obvious answer yet. I can't see a quick answer. Uh, the, also, the big problem for me was Ronaldo up front as well. He's a great player. He scores important goals, but he doesn't hold the ball up. The ball just bounces straight off him. For me, it should have been Cavani up top. Gives you a target, man. Gives you a presence. It might have been a, a different result, maybe, because United could have played to Cavani and played off him. But unfortunately, Ronaldo has his strengths, but a target man isn't one. Yeah, I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo is a bit of an enigma, isn't he? Because he's been playing so well in so many of these games. And he did save us against Atlanta, bagging yeah. those two goals. And when we signed him at the start of the season, many outsiders, maybe, whether jealousy influenced their, their minds or not, suggested that it was a stupid signing, that we've done it purely for romance reasons, and that there's no longevity into signing a 36-year-old. But he's having a massive impact on the field of play this season. And you still think that... He has been a good signing. He has been a good signing, James. But in this Man United team, you need presence. You need presence in that midfield and you need to be able to hold the ball up. And he can't do it. He is 36 or 34, 36 years old. It's not his game. It never was. For me, if you're going to put Ronaldo in the team, you need to put Cavani in the team and you play a 5-3-2. You have to go with Fred McTominay and Matic as your three. And then up front, you go with Ronaldo and uh, Cavani play with your five at the back with um, uh, Harry Maguire, Bar Barry, and uh, Lindelof as your three, and then Shaw and Wambasaka as your as your wing backs, and make them push forward. And that's the kind of only way I think this Man United team gets out of the mess they're in. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. That that kicks. Greenwood out the out the out the team. It kicks Sancho out of the team. It kicks Ratchford out of the team, and it, it will be a massive problem. And I, that's the part of the problem I think Oli has because he's got great players, but unfortunately, don't fit in the system he wants to play. Yeah, they don't, Rob. It seems like he's got all the puzzle pieces, and he's not quite able to put them together. Mm. But who would be able to put them together? Is it just a puzzle right now that's a little bit too hard to solve, and it's going to take more years? Is anybody? capable of making Man United tick at the moment? Well, I think you've got the, the problem you've got, like I said before, your back four can't play. They're, they're there to defend at the moment. They can't play out. So you've got to either change your style or change your personnel. And 
if you try and change your personnel, it takes time, doesn't it? And changing your style is quicker. But if you don't have your personnel to to adapt to that, it can get messy quite quick. So interesting to see what happens. While you bring a new manager and he's still got the same players to 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 work with, that doesn't change. Christmas is massive for Ole. If he can get couple of midfielders in who can play the likes of Kante or Declan Rice, who can play football, break play up and get Man United moving on the front foot, then they might have half a chance of competing with the likes of City Liverpool. But without that, you know, you're going from, you know, in a cycle of, you know, optimism, realism, optimism, realism, and, and that's and that's the cycle we're in at the moment. Yeah, it always feels like we're on the cusp of something that things might change for Manchester United. And I mean, at the start of the season, when we signed those three massive names in, in Varane, Ronaldo and Sancho, and we sort of overlooked the fact that we didn't sign a central defensive midfielder. We were all excited, weren't we, for the season we could potentially have. And we started as one of the best teams in the league. But do you feel like Manchester United fans aren't looking at the reality of the situation? And we keep romanticising this team. We keep remembering what they've done in the Sir Alex Ferguson era. But... As time goes on, we're further and further and further away from that. And we don't seem any closer to regaining that type of form. And are we in danger of being a long way away from that? And we're convincing ourselves that we're closer than we are. It's the FIFA generation, isn't it, James? They, they play it like on a computer game. But in realism, realism, in real life, football isn't played the same way you play on FIFA. You need structure. You need characters in certain areas of the field who can deal with pressure, being pressed. And Manchester United don't have that. And I do worry for the likes of Ratchford and Greenwood and Sancho because they are a good they are good players. And if they were in a, a system that worked, if they played up top, well, they had somebody who was a sort of a strong centre forward who was able to hold the ball up and dis- distribute the ball, it might work out. But they're not. And it's really a problem for everybody involved. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree, Rob. And we've got a big game midweek as well, away at Villarreal in the Champions League. And if it wasn't for Ronaldo's late equaliser against Atalanta, we'll be going into that one well and truly needing the win to stay in the Champions League. And in a group that really we should be cruising, what have you made of our Champions League campaign so far? And do you fancy us to get that victory against Villarreal? Because if we don't, Atlanta are still biting on our heels. Yeah, it's important. Obviously, they go to Villa, Villarreal and get a result. Um, you know, it's going to be a tough place. Obviously, confidence is on the way and after the, the uh, last couple of results. But Ole will hopefully get a chance to, to get them sort of up and, and firing. And we kind of hope we can get a result. Uh, Europe is massive for Manchester United. They need to be seen to be eating at the top table, James. So a result against Villarreal will certainly put them in good stead moving forward. Is there any part of you, Rob, that believes that we can have a run in this Champions League? If we get lucky, James, yeah. Because sometimes teams win European Cups uh, by moments of, of, of madness, moments of magic. And we could do that. But like we've seen against the likes of City and Liverpool, if these top teams get into third gear, you know, we haven't got a chance. So we, we need to be able to ride the luck, uh, get lucky, score goals, defend with, with all your might, and hopefully we'll get a result to get us there. I mean, I completely agree, Rob. I mean, are we in danger of dropping out of being recognised as a big team in this country. I mean, I know that we're always going to have the history and people are always going to look at Manchester United and a big team in the sense of everything we've done. But are we in danger of 
not being an intimidating team to play against. Because a lot of these teams used to go to Manchester United and they'd be terrified. Now we don't have that same scare factor. But the likes of Manchester City, the likes of Chelsea, the likes of Liverpool, they'll do. Are we in danger of going a level below those sides? The problem with Manchester United now is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, because of the, the, the players he's got available, has to play in a counter-attacking style. And... The Man United of old, the Fergie years, you know, we bomb forward, we attack teams and this team is different. And teams coming to Old Trafford, James, will be, you know, know that Ollie's team isn't going to go out because they lack uh, that ability to, to, to open teams up. They need teams to come onto them and hit them on the break. And that, and that is an important thing, you know, looking, looking at this team. Uh, does it work? You might need the odd result, but... Manchester United isn't a counter-attacking sign. They're an attack, attack, attack team historically and fans aren't happy about this counter-attacking situation we find ourselves in. And obviously with a minute to go, to go, James, what's your thought process on that? I mean, you can't go by long-term just trying to nick results, can you? You no. need to have structure, you need to have idea and... As much as I want to give Ole Gunnar Solskjaer time, I don't know if he's the man with the experience to be able to implement that structure into Manchester United. But we all adore him, don't we? So I'm hoping that I'm wrong. I'm hoping that he can turn him around. And I'm still trying to believe in him. And just quickly, Rob, to finish off, Manchester City, huge game against Everton. One they should win, though. Yeah, they should get a result at Everton. And that's the kind of thing championship-winning teams do. They'll back up the performance. They have a good performance against Manchester United. They have the European, uh, you know, national uh, weekend, and then they come back to the Premier League and start winning games. And that is what Man City are going to do against Everton. Uh, we'll be talking all about it on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio next week. I hope you can join us on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio for more Salford Sporting Chat. And we'll see you next week for lots more. <laughs>